Hello, welcome to the Darren Clarkson King podcast. I'm Darren Clarkson King. This is my podcast, as my listeners will know. And if you're a new listener, then you're in for a treat, I'm sure. It's nearly all just brain vomit, and it's about whitewater kayaking. Sometimes I talk about the Himalayas, which is where I'm normally based. Now I'm in Snowdonia, North Wales, glorious sun, with people exploring, lots of new tourists kicking about. You know, swift distancing, I hope. Now, as you'll know, this podcast is not affiliated in any way, shape or form to brands and products and any of that. It's also, uh, just like I say, my brain vomit. But I do answer some questions that people give me on Podbean or social media. So if that's the thing you want, then send me some stuff over and I'll try and talk about it. I can't promise it'll be worth listening to, but I'll do my best. And today on this podcast... I want to talk about a river, a river whose majesty opens up this time of year. Back end of September tends to be the special time, but the first week of August you know, has, has been known to offer some amazing experiences. This river is etched into the memory banks of all that have descended it. It's in the myth and legend of the history of our sport. It's a river that sits nestled, tucked away in the North Country, in British Columbia. It sits after that long, lonely drive north, in a place where the put-in is next to a bridge that roars with freight train traffic as it heads north to Alaska. And tucked below is a yellow sign that says Danger. The rapids below are not navigable, but we know they are, and we know the history from the first descent of the team led by Rob Lesser to the audacious solo descent of Doug Ammons, the one-day descent by the LBM crew, or the speed descents by Anil Gerd and Benny. This river that drains that Splatesi Plateau, the deep, dark canyon walls where everything changes yet nothing is different where you camp next to the yellow sign on day one and if you're doing it in the traditional manner you camp again at the abandoned hydro project at Z and then you camp on the beach between Garden of the Gods 1 and 2 and those that are listening to this podcast and understand those reference points will know that I'm talking of the Stikine, the Grand Canyon of the Stikine. It's been a number of years since I ran the Stikine, and it still sits there in my dreams, and it still sits there in every waking minute, and it flows through my veins. My journey to the Stikine started years before I even paddled it, I remember watching a Helen Highwater documentary, which was the descent led by Rob Lesser and the, the, the raft team that went in and filmed for TV. I remember watching them navigate through Wasson's Hole, which was the scene of John Wasson's most epic swim. Just watching that video in, where they're in dancers and eclipses and spirits 
with ribbed buoyancy aids and the raft team. You know, it's well worth watching if you manage to find it. I think it's on YouTube. And I'd been to the Stikine before when I attempted the Triple Crown of the Alsecker versus Sitner Stikine. For me, that day, the Stikine was too high. Other teams went in, but I didn't go in that day. It was, it was too high. And I went back and paddled it. And I'm driving north from Vancouver on that long, lonely highway. But it's not a long, lonely highway. It's just mentally lonely. Because every kilometre you drive north, you are closer and closer to rolling that dice, as Lesser would say. You are closer and closer to the putting. Every time you stop and fill up with gas and drink a coffee and go to a roadside diner, you are closer. You are closer to a place where the deep, dark canyon walls will rip you bare. Mr Keen has been likened to Everest. There's no more training to be done. The minute you set off on that journey, you have to be ready. And when I got to the Stikine and I joined a group of paddlers, like bands of brothers going to war. But it's not really war, it just feels that way sometimes. Somebody once said the Stikine is like surviving Vietnam. And you set off into the deep, dark gorge. No matter how nice the weather, the gorge always seems foreboding and dark. The first rapid entry falls with the colossal waves that typewriter you left and right, right and left, spinning you and tossing you past the big rock. And then it goes calm. No one tells you about the calmness of the Stikine. And you paddle on and the eddy lines become huge and you're fully loaded riverboats with your food and your sleeping bags become heavy and unwieldy to manage. Just before the first night's camp is Watson's Hole. And for me, I missed the eddy above. I couldn't penetrate that eddy line. I was tired, I was jet lagged. And I just didn't have the strength to penetrate it. And I ran Watson's Hole blind. I'd seen it enough times on video footage and on photographs to know roughly where the line was. Didn't make it any easier. It's a rapid of commitment. It's a rapid where people watch as you go down into the chasm and they can't see as you finish. They just hope you're good. They hope you're safe. And you camp next to Site Z, which has now been run. Benny Mar doing the first, Norrie has done it. People run it now, but, you know, it is a portage for most people. And you camp there as the thundering water of Site Z piles past. If you're lucky, you gaze into the black, starry night. It's portaging in the morning. It's one of the most difficult portages I've ever made. Up over house-sized boulders with a loaded boat on your shoulder. And then you put in an eddy, a surging, surging washing machine type eddy. It's 
on the river right and you have to make a ferry above a huge hole and for some they make the ferry and they make the line clean and for others they tumble and roll in that hole it's not a place to swim in you just have to hold on ragdolling rolling holding on holding on and hoping you flush the stacking takes it always takes it takes from you more than perhaps you're willing to give but it also gives back to you it gives back to you moments of emotion that I don't believe I've ever faced on any other river it gives you glimpses into your own I want to say soul into your heart into your mind on the last day there's a rapid called V drive V drive sits as the rapid just behind the hole that hurts Chicago it's one of the last well, it's the last big rapid in the canyon but it's not the last big rapid there's more rapids after Tanzilla slot. V-Drive. I still remember the number of strokes I made on V-Drive all these years later. There's a small piece of calm as the river settles after the hill at Chicago. It's not a lot. And then you have V-Drive. You can scout it from the right. You look down on it. It is an insanely steep rapid, insanely steep. And it drops into a huge, gigantic, diagonal hole, pushing against the undercut left wall. And the line is down the middle. For me, that's the line I chose. And you pull on your blade to get over that first rising, crashing haystack wave. 10 foot, 15, 20 foot wave. And you pull and you hold on. And it's like a freight train. You're sat there in this chasm, hurtling towards this huge hole. Knowing that if you're off to the left a little, you're going to get typewritten into that undercut. If you're a little bit further left than you should be, you might end up in an eddy of no return where a swim could be fatal. If you're too far right, you know you're going to get tumbled in this ginormous hole. And as you paddle through there, the water in the gut of V-Drive pushes against this undercut. By the time you get to V-Drive, you've spent at least two nights camping in that gorge your boat is still heavy with your camping gear and if you've got spare food you've paddled a great number of technically difficult rapids rapids that require all your concentration and all your strength rapids you are navigating often blind because scouting is almost impossible and v-drive when you run down that tongue cresting those giant haystacks 
heading towards that huge crashing hole. This is the time when, for me, Mr. King gives you the truth. It positions you on the thinnest of thin lines between emotional flooding and emotional impotence. You crash through the bottom of V-Drive. You have missed that undercut. I hope you've missed that undercut. And Mr. Keane lets go of you just a fraction. Just a fraction, the water calms and the noise reduces. Before the water squeezes through the exit of the canyon at Tanzilla, the six foot wide gap where hundreds of cubics of water squeeze through. Where the silence of your emotions deafens you and you escape the, the grasp of the canyon. We were a band of brothers when we came through that gap. The hard rapid, some hard rapids lay below. But you know you were, you've come through that gorge, through that canyon. And you know you've made it. You could have rolled a thousand times. You could have been shaking, just not understanding why you were there. You could have rolled and tumbled and worried about everything worried about nothing and that is why Mr Keane still holds truth to me it's a river that I ache to go back to and I will one day I'll go back before age or health or financial concerns restrict me from doing so it's a river that is linked to the history of our sport it is a river that is linked to the history of British Columbia. You take out at the Talton Indian Reservation and you drive back up to Mama Z's restaurant. When it comes to big water exploration kayaking, it's logistically easy, even for an international paddler. There's a road to the putting and there's a road at the takeout. It's not like paddling the rivers of the Alsec or the Susitna, where you have to get a float plane in or a float plane out. But it is a river that haunts you if you get it wrong. If you are not prepared to be stripped bare, Mr. Keane will beat you down. And yet, when you watch it on GoPro and you appreciate the size of it, you cannot and you will never understand the emotional state rivers like the Stikine put you in. Some people leave the Stikine shell-shocked, and it takes some time to recuperate. It's often been said that if you paddle the Stikine once, and you never think of it again, you will never ever go back. But if you think of it daily, you'll go back for a second lap. And if you do a second lap, you'll do a third. And that is a place I want to go back to. It's a river that during COVID times has been on my mind, maybe daily. I don't know if I'm strong enough at the moment to go back. I've not been in a boat much. But maybe I will, and maybe I'll train. I want to thank you guys for listening. 
Just talking about that one river, I can feel my heart is elevated. I'm staring away into mid-distance out of my window in Wales, looking at the leaves in the trees. Thinking back to being drained and tired, laying in the sand at a second night camp. Unsure if I could paddle through Garden of the Gods too. Nervous about the rapids of Sivers. Wondering how on earth I managed to paddle the rapids when I was so jet-lagged and tired. Rapids like Pass Fail. I can still remember those. Sitting as I am now, gazing into mid-distance. On that note, you have a lovely day, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. It's been quite a short podcast, and that's fine. If you are getting out kayaking and exploring, rivers don't need to be as emotionally sort of binary as a stickeen. Go out and enjoy it. Go and explore these places because of the love and the passion you have for them. Don't go and explore just because it's for GoPro, just because it's for an article, just because you may say you should. Do it for yourselves. You guys are all lovely. I'm Shanti. Speak to you again soon.